Welcome to A Creative Affair, and you're here with Len Metcalf, Bree Stockwell, and today's special guest is Nikki Wynn, Wynn <laughs> Jones. So I'm really bad at pronouncing things, and you have to excuse me with um with uh, my mispronunciations there, but um, uh, Nikki is uh, an incredible uh, photographer, lives in the Orkney Islands, and uh, we're so delighted today to talk to you about creativity and uh, uh, perhaps you'd uh, like to introduce yourself to to start off. Of course, thank you very much for the introduction, Len, and it's lovely to be with you and Bree. I'm thrilled and honoured to have been asked to join your podcast and uh, it's my great pleasure to talk to you today. So, yes, I live in the beautiful Orkney Islands uh, off the north coast of Scotland. Uh, We've been here seven years. I arrived here with our two elderly cats who sadly uh, did not like the cold and <laughs> didn't last very long, bless them. Um, uh, I used to be a swimming teacher in a former life when I was raising my children, uh, but my parents were both very keen amateur photographers, uh, wildlife, um, and my beloved Auntie Catherine, who was my father's sister, was she was an extraordinary woman and really she is behind very much of what I do. She was a very talented musician and artist. Um, She knew so much about nature. She was very, very knowledgeable, but unfortunately her mental health issues meant that she couldn't get her knowledge and love of nature out into the world. So, you know, the world was never able to appreciate what she could do and how much she knew. But when she died in 2003, I felt her on my shoulder asking me to tell the world what she could not, to show the world the beauty, um, to tell the world of her love, of the birds particularly, the wildlife, you know, the magic that is out there. So that is really where it began for me. We were living in Florida at the time. And Brie, I don't know whether you know, but Florida is absolutely incredible for birds. And of course, alligators, but (laughs) it was the birds that I really fell in love with. They're extremely tame, so you can get very close to them. And even with a little point and shoot that I had at the time, I was able to get some beautiful photographs of these gorgeous creatures. Well, when we moved back to the UK in 2007, I decided I was going to take the photography a little more seriously. Um, I joined a camera club. I don't know whether you have such things in Australia and the US. But, um, you know, really just to make friends, to meet like-minded people, to learn. And it was great up to a point, but I felt that they didn't encourage creativity, that word. So uh, I decided to um, go out on my own, really. Um, And eventually I gave up the swimming teaching because I just felt that I needed some, I needed to empty my mind. Um, I wanted to find a photographic project that I could really um, immerse myself in and really take it as far as I could. So we decided to move to the Orkney Islands, which are, it's a group of islands, um, huge skies, lots of sea. You can see for miles or you can't see at all because we've got the sea fret coming in, the sea har, the mist. It's a place of magic. The tales abound of mythical creatures and strange sea monsters that would take the fishermen. There's magic in the air. It crackles all around you here. And I just wanted to really explore this, 
get under its skin and really, I suppose, express it in the way that I felt was, you know, meant something to me and that hopefully other people would would connect with. But at first, you know, I just had no idea how to go about this. It's, I won't say Orkney's featureless, it certainly isn't. It's got the most incredible coastline, beautiful cliffs, um, lots and lots of Neolithical remains. You know, we've got a stone circle here that's older than Stonehenge, all these incredible things. But it's not as immediately photogenic as somewhere like the Outer Hebrides with, you know, the Luskantai Beach and all those other things that they have there. And these huge skies meant that I just couldn't, I couldn't find a hook, I suppose, is what I would say. So I kind of wandered around for, I don't know, the best part of nine months, I suppose, with my head literally in the clouds sometimes, just trying to think, well, how how can I, what does it mean to me? You know, I, I, I couldn't see past the bigger picture for a long time. I've never been very good at the bigger picture. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely hopeless at doing landscapes, useless. You know, I need a telephoto lens in my hands. <laughs> But then um, in the spring, the flowers started to sprout eventually. And I realized that that was probably the way that I needed to go, was to really get down to a very intimate level, literally to get down on the ground and, and, and look into those spaces between, between the flowers, between the, the bluebells and the cowslips, you know, because you can sense the fairy magic in those spaces. And sure enough, I found it. And it was a magical thing. And people seem to like it. People seem to connect with my talk of fairies. You know, I put a few things tentatively on Facebook and was very worried that I was just going to get laughed at. But actually, I didn't. Because I think other people want to connect with those things, too. Do you think? Do you think there's something in that idea? <laughs> people want the magic. I'm just like transfixed because all I want to do right now is listen to the stories about the magic of the island. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think part of uh part of our, what makes what can sometimes make our creative work interesting is this can be this idea of um magic, you know, infused into it and you know, something that we can't see that may, that may or may not be there or, um, you know, something that seems, you know, not, not of our realm, you know, mm. and, yeah, and I think that's, I think that's a really fun, it's a fun way to, to, it's a fun thing to dream about. And it's a fun way to, to make art really. Mm. Mm. Len, thoughts? Uh, it's a it's a beautiful story uh, as, as it unfolds right now, yes. and I definitely feel magic with my subject as well. And uh, I, I, it's something that I'm exploring and follow. And I don't I'm inexplicably drawn to subjects to photograph, and yeah. uh, I don't understand fully why I like some better than others, other than to to figure out that that's who I am and that seems to be my place in the world to connect with it. Like I, I was transfixed when you said there was some, you know, she was on your shoulder. Yes. And, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have. Very real. I have someone on my shoulder or right behind me and uh, many, many mediums and people have um, felt that presence and talked to me about it and 
in times of crisis, it's actually guided me many, many times. And I'm so, so thankful of it. And I don't understand. I have no understanding of this magic at all. Mm. Um, but through experience, through um, multiple experiences, I've learned to trust and also to believe that mm. there is special magic there. Yeah, I don't think I actually want to understand the magic. You know, I, I, I like to just have that, that aura, that essence, uh, whatever you, you would want to call it. And, you know, right now we're coming into the, um, uh, uh, the summer months here where it doesn't get dark. So, you know, we have this strange twilight from about uh, 11 p.m. to about 3 a.m. where, um, well, if I could just hang the house to say, um, we're so far north that, you know, the sunrise and sunset, uh, the, the position of the sun in the sky uh, is very, very different in summer than in winter. So in the middle of winter, at the winter solstice, the sun will rise after 9 a.m. in the south-southeast. So, you know, it, and then it traces a very narrow arc across the horizon, only about 10 degrees above the horizon. And then it'll set at 3 p.m. in the south-southwest. So as you can imagine, that's a very narrow arc. But in midsummer, which is coming up, it will rise at 4 a.m., in the north northeast, so south southeast and north northeast, and then it will trace the arc across the sky and set at half past ten in the evening uh, in the north northwest. But what happens in midsummer is that you see this orange glow where the sun has set, and it travels across the northern sky to the north northeast, and then at four a.m. the sun just pops up again. So you've got this strange, very magical twilight going on. And when I'm feeling strong, I stay up all night. And mm -hmm. uh, normally, <laughs> for sunset, I go to my beloved Arctic Terns, who are in the northwest corner of the island. And then I'll drive home to the east and have, I don't know, a cup of tea and toast or something like that. And then I will go down to the beach near where I live, in the north-northeast of the islands. And it's just incredible. It's just absolutely amazing. You can hear the seals singing their siren song. And it's so quiet that you can hear the eider ducks just flopping into the sea with their chicks. Um, and there's dew everywhere and all these fairy sparkles as the sun comes up and you're lying on the wet ground just looking for the fairy magic. And there it is, you know, and it's wonderful. But sometimes when the sea har comes in and we get the mist, mm, it's very strange. It's quite claustrophobic. Do you know the story of the Flying Dutchman? Um, you know, the, the, the ship, I, I can't, I've got to admit, I can't actually remember much about the legend. I mean, is that the ship from Pirates of the Caribbean? No. So <laughs> if, it, if it is, I think it might be. I'm going to Google that right now. It is not. I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. Okay. But you know, Google it anyway, because I've got to admit that I can't remember the story properly, but I do know that uh, it's this ghost ship, which is forever bound to just sail the seas and, you know, we have a lot of cruise ships who come and visit and they disappear into the hull sometimes like the Flying Dutchman's ship. And it's, you know, you can hear the fog horns and it's very, very atmospheric and mystical and very beautiful. It's yes. one of my... It, it's the in the Pirates of the Caribbean, by the way. I think it's in the third one. Okay, well, I mean, it's a... <laughs> yes, it's like this ghost ship with all these... Yeah, it's yeah. it's a little bit creepy magical. <laughs> Definitely creepy. <laughs> 
Right. That thick mist is my absolute favourite to photograph in and uh, in the Blue Mountains uh, mm. when it comes in and you have the trees, you have this incredible depth and uh, it just obliterates. So it, it yeah. creates uh, a very, and claustrophobic could be a, a way to, to describe it, but I find it hugging and comforting and warm mm. that that feels like I've got something wrapped around me and I, I quite like a dark room. and. Uh, um, yeah. tight, tight forests and those sort of places. So that when yes. the mist comes in, it's, it's, it's incredibly important to yeah. my psycholo- psychology. And I'd actually choose to live somewhere in the thick mist because I find it so comforting. You probably wouldn't like how this wind that comes with it though. Because <laughs> bizarrely, our mist does come with this cold wind. It's very strange. It was very odd to me when we first moved here. Because, uh, you know, coming from central England, a thick fog there means it's still, completely still. But it's mm. the opposite here. It's something to do with the temperature inversion. And, um, yeah, because, you know, I visited the Blue Mountains a few years ago. And um, we got every kind of weather. We got boiling hot sunshine one day. And then we got mist the next day. And it was absolutely wonderful. You're right. I loved it. It was so beautiful in the mist. And I got some beautiful pictures. It is gorgeous. I'm really fascinated by the fairies down in the grasses. The fairies, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and also that you said that's where the magic is. And mm. uh, tell me, could you tell us a little bit more about you know this discovery that this is where things were happening for you, and uh, oh gosh, some sort of excitement there. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I recently wrote an article uh, where I referenced this, and I had to actually admit in the article that I didn't know how I knew when the magic was there. I just knew. You know, it's it's an instinct. And years ago, I was told by a wonderful mentor that I had when I was starting out that I should always try and follow my instincts when photographing to never get bogged down in the technical side because he could see that I had no interest in the technical side and very little ability in that that way either, you know. And he told me only to to learn as much about how to handle a camera as I would ever need to know, which has stood me, you know, in very very good stead. So I I do just literally follow my instincts, and you just get a feeling. This is why I think I love to photograph near water because you've got that movement and you know that they're there. You know, they're there twinkling in the background. And last winter, we had a snowfall, which is quite unusual for us here because, as I say, we're warmed by the Gulf Stream, so we don't get an awful lot of snow. And um, the sun was just coming up, and I knew that I would be able to get, you know, to find some fairies, and I did. But, you know, just as quickly, they can just turn the lights out. It was literally like being in a landscape with fairy lights for a few minutes, and then it was like, well, you've had your lot now. We've shown you our realm and you've had enough. You know, we, we, you can't see any more. It's our secret realm. And the thing about it is that when you try to recall it, it's like a dream because you can't, you can't get hold of it. You know, you can't bring it back. You know, it's meant to be this place where probably not that many people actually have the privilege of going. I don't know, because you have to be very quiet and you have to, I think you have to know how to look. Is what I tell people. I um, wonder if a lot of our creative work that um, that feels magical is a little bit like that, like fleeting, and we can't quite recall how we got there, or um, hmm. and maybe it's just a feeling that we're left with sometimes. 
you know. Yes, I, I think I, I would agree with that. And Nikki, did that come with with photographs and artworks at the same time, or did the this magical experience happen and then um, is a lifetime of chasing it and um, uh, and trying to capture or create something that that's related to that? I think I realized that I tapped into something here in this landscape of Orkney that I could relate to and that I could communicate to other people. And I think that's kind of what set me on the path. You know, it was the flowers that definitely opened things up for me. And, you know, when I I started realizing, you know, the the seas around here, and I don't know whether you've seen some of my wave pictures on uh, on my website or on, on social media, you know, again, I went for the detail. I go with a long lens because... When you are granted the privilege, you can see monsters and creatures in the waves quite clearly. It's quite extraordinary. And I'm not the only one, you know, but interestingly, other people see different monsters. (laughs) 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 So, you know, I guess it depends what you're looking for or, you know, what is granted to be revealed to you at any one time. So Uh, when you say other people see different monsters, you mean in the artwork or in the same ocean? No, no, in the artwork. Yeah. Yeah. uh, um, The reason I I wanted to clarify that is I really believe that beautiful artworks uh, speak so many different stories to so many different people. And this this is where camera clubs often end up quite um, wrong is that, this, there's this idea that a, an artwork needs to communicate a single idea and uh, to communicate it really quickly and uh, that by doing so, it's really good. My more deeper understanding is that the the greater the depth of the stories and multiple layers of stories and that they speak uh, different stories to different people makes for a more interesting artwork. And then some people see multiple stories and then they keep engaging over time and they keep wanting to keep looking because they can see one monster and then maybe another one emerges or someone else sees a different one and then this conversation continues and yeah. continues over time. And I think the these layers and multiple meanings are incredibly powerful and that's what I'm actually now searching for is yeah. how do I actually pursue this idea that there's more than one thing happening in the, in the, in the artwork. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea, I agree. Uh Nikki, I have a question. Sure. And this goes back to um you said it was this was your aunt who mm, yeah. Okay. I'm just I'm just double checking <laughs> because <laughs> my mind wanders from that and moves on to what we're actually talking about. So it made me it made me think of that quote um, from uh, Matisse. That is, I actually looked it up. It's you know what quote I'm talking about. Creativity takes courage, and it, you know I love that. I love this part of your story that your catalyst for beginning, really beginning your photographic journey was your your aunt aunt telling you, you know, you you need to go do this and. So I'm wondering, it seems like that would take a lot of courage. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like, what was that like to, to have, um, to have that experience where you were inspired to then go do this work and create? And did you feel, was there a time where you were like, 
like, were you freaked out? Like, uh, you know, I'd love for you to talk about that. The courage part of, of really starting to put yourself out there and creating things that maybe were kind of against, you know, what the norm was. I think I should probably take you back to when I was quite a young child. My parents Ooh, let's were... do that. <laughs> I'm interested. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, I had a very happy, stable childhood. My, my father was a music teacher and he started me on piano lessons when I was probably seven-ish. And one of my strongest childhood memories is of me sitting at the piano to practice whatever piece it was he'd given me. And mucking around with the time, you know, like a jazz pianist might do. And my parents just coming down on me like a ton of bricks. You can't do that. That's not what the music says. You must do what the music says. So, you know, being the good, obedient child that I was, I did what the music said. And then a couple of years later, um, we were asked to write an essay in class. I cannot remember what the title was supposed to be or what the instruction was, but what I wrote was about what it was like to be a honeybee inside a flower. And I got told that if I ever wrote like that again, I would get a line put through my work. So, of course, that immediately shuts down any creativity. You know, and then I was a, I went to school. I was a good student. I went to university. I was a very bad student. And I got on with my life. I got married. I had children. Uh, you know, I saw my parents photographing um, nature very beautifully. But again, very down the line, very straight, you know, um, nature photography. And then Auntie Catherine and then she died. And then, you know, there she was on my shoulder and it released something in me. So there was absolutely no need for any courage. It was there to just been waiting all my life to come out. <laughs> and I've always had a very strong sense of what I've wanted to do and what I wanted to show. I've never gone with trends. I've never, you know, camera club. I never took pictures to win competitions or anything like that. So really, it was a very easy transition for me. It's never been an issue for me at all. I photograph what I want, what I hope will communicate something. If people get that communication, I'm delighted. If not, well, I know it meant something to me. So that's my answer, I guess. That's really no, amazing. Sorry. By the way, I'm I have to say. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not brave. <laughs> well, well, I think, well, maybe it is like bravery sometimes, you know, to like, because I think it's one thing to make art for us, you know, that we don't really need, maybe we need courage or we don't, you know, to do, but then to share this with other people, like, um, how is it for you initially sharing this work with other people and kind of really becoming more of who you rediscovered? Mm. It's been, a, it's been a fun journey actually, because Fairies aside, I think, you know, where my heart really lies are the birds, actually. You know, so I've always kind of gone with that idea that, uh, you know, Amandi Catherine was, you know, a huge bird lover. Birds were really, you know, what she, what she loved the most and I think what she knew most about. You know, I showed a lot of bird pictures and people just, I think people understood how much I loved them and how much I was trying to communicate Auntie Catherine's love for them. And, you know, I've told that story. Uh, I used to do talks, you know, when we lived south and people always loved that story that I was really, you know, speaking on her behalf. And I just see them as, as 
magical creatures. You know, there's that word magical again. You know, I want to show their beautiful ethereal nature. You know, they're creatures from, an, from another realm. And part of the reason I think I love seabirds so much is exactly that reason. You know, they are so unknowable. I mean, the Arctic terns I was sitting with this morning, they have the longest migration of any creatures on the planet. Can you imagine that? They go from, you know, where we are here, right at, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, they migrate to the Antarctic and back. And they're tiny, you know, they're small birds. And I just want to know about them. I want to know where they go. What do they see? You know, it's just, they leave our realm, they go into theirs, and the mystery of it just blows me away. You know, it leaves me speechless and, and tearful, really. Yeah. It's incredible how many hours they fly for, isn't it? I know. I know. They are the most extraordinary little birds. They really are. You know, when I was sitting there this morning with the rain coming in and the wind and just watching them just gliding above the nesting site and negotiating, you know, with those beautiful long wings of theirs, negotiating how to land. And you see they have to take several passes at it. And then one of them will come in with a, um, you know, a little pipe fish. And you can see that it kind of knocks them off balance slightly. They've got to figure out, you know, with these minute <laughs> movements of their wings, you know, how am I going to not bump my nose on the rock, you know, when I get down? <laughs> but I find it quite overwhelming. You know, when they leave, I'm, I grieve. I grieve for them. You know, I really do. I miss them dreadfully. <laughs> yes, because not all of them make it, do they, in that huge flight? Absolutely not. And unfortunately, the last two years, the chicks have been predated. And so for the last two years, you know, we didn't know whether enough of them would come back to start a colony. And, um, you know, the first year the chicks got predated, I, you know, I practically knew them by name. I spent so many hours with them. And then, you know, I got there early one morning at dawn and the hooded crows had taken the chicks. And I was just distraught for weeks. It was terrible. It was mm. terrible. I took it quite personally. <laughs> I, I spent some time living on an island and uh, the turtles would hatch during oh, yeah. summer yeah. that we were there. And it was fascinating because, uh, you know, hundreds of turtles would come out and the birds would go absolutely nuts mm. for, the, for this beautiful food. And us humans <laughs> had this incredible protective element and wanted to protect the turtles as they headed out to, to the ocean as well. Yes, and yes. I always felt guilty um, being a part of that because I also felt sorry for the birds and the, um, the natural order of things. And, you know, there was this wanting to interfere because we felt, you know, that these turtles were so cute and so special and so magical and particularly watching them come and live. But uh, out of a whole nest, um, or out of a laying, I suppose you call it, there might only be one that makes it to full Absolutely. maturity. And, and uh, it is a, a numbers game for, for them as they're born. We saw it's them fascinating. in Florida too. They used to nest along the beach where we lived and, um, you know, they were highly protected. Uh, one of my fondest memories is of walking on the beach very early one morning and seeing this little, you know, hatchling turtle struggling down the beach towards the water and off it went, you know, and it was just the most incredible thing to mm. see this tiny little thing set off on this amazing journey, you know, it's extraordinary. And then, you know, the rangers would come and, you know, when the turtles were all gone, they would, they would dig up, open the nests 
and you could see these white eggs that looked like squashed ping pong balls. It's quite an amazing thing to see. But, you know, I, I've often thought that to love nature is to be heartbroken most of the time because obviously, you know, we all have to eat something. And yes, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to see the birds eat the baby turtles. Um, and it's heartbreaking for me to see another bird eat, um, you know, a turn chick. And so it goes on. But everything has to eat. Nothing to do about it, really. It's, it's just life, isn't it? Mm, very much so. I was wondering whether your aunt gave you permission to share your work and to sort of created a, 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 a safe space in a sense. Like um, Bree was talking about courage and um, you'd sort of denied that in a sense. And I was just sort of picking on that, wondering then perhaps it was a different um, feeling in there that came in this sort of safeness that she's created for you. I don't think so. I didn't recognize a different feeling. In fact, you know, I don't feel her as strongly now as I did, say, 10 years ago. You know, I just feel that I'm confident in, you know, the fact that I can carry on doing what she wanted me to do, um, you know, and show, show the beauty. And, and, you know, and the other thing about it is there's so much ugliness in the world. I just want to show beauty. You know, I, I'm not really, I'm not particularly an activist type. I probably should be because I get very angry about certain things. But it's difficult to go on marches and things when you live, you know, hundreds of miles from London and you've got to get on a plane to do it. It's expensive. So my way of trying to make the world better is to, you know, to put out this beauty because um, I think it's really, really important. You know, nature is under such threat, as we all know. People don't know what's out there to admire and to love. Then, you know, I think it's up to us artists to show to show that. Don't you agree? Uh, well, I definitely think that there's enough mess in the world and I try to add beauty mm. and uh, natural beauty is very, very high on my agenda there and exploring that visually as well. And I think that that's a, an incredibly powerful medium to, to work with it. I always think it's interesting when, when I see artists or photographers take something that we typically think of as ugly or messy or I mean, obviously imperfect and turn it into something maybe not, maybe beautiful in a, like a wabi-sabi kind of a way <laughs> or, yeah, I'm yeah. right. Or, or even um, something that, that feels interesting and makes you look again and have a thought about it. And why is it that way? And, and so I think, I think there's, I think there's place for, you know, all kinds of different uh, art out there. So, um, yeah, cause I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I absolutely love, well, maybe I do love the kind of sweet, you know, work that, that just is a little bit surface pretty. I make those sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but more and more, I feel myself attracted to what's what's messy about this and how can this chaos be organized? And, um, you know, what am, what am I attracted to? So I, you know, I, I think that's interesting too. Mm. Yeah, no, most definitely it is. And, you know, that's a real skill, I think, to be able to think like that. Not sure that I have that skill, but you clearly do. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I think like that. I just think that I'm interested in thinking like that. <laughs> no, but that, that's good because it's, you know, it's another direction to go in, isn't it? And, uh, 
you know, I, I think um, one thing I like about being somewhere like Orkney, and now I understand how the seasons work, and they're very different from seasons down in the south of England. You know, it's a completely different climate. Uh, you know, I, I, I can go deeper now because I know what to look for. You know, um, we don't really get much of an autumn here. We don't get any autumn colour because the wind comes and it just blows all the leaves off. And in fact, we hardly have any trees because it is such a windy place. So we have one, a couple of little areas of woodland, um, you know, that are kind of slightly in slightly protected valleys. But uh, we have we have few trees apart from that. So really no autumn colour. But, you know, I relish the coming of winter because the storms come. We get these huge Atlantic storms and that's chaos for you. You know, <laughs> that's chaos. Um, yes. And always thing- with the wind. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I've just got this thing. I, 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 I try to get as close as possible as I safely can to the chaos, you know, and sometimes I wonder what it must be like to be in the middle of it all. And I, I've had this feeling that maybe it's like being in the middle of a creation event, you know, the birth of a star, you know, the milestone of the waves and the huge power and the noise the thundering, booming into the cliffs. Yeah. Well, we'll never know, will we? But <laughs> that's kind of what right. I think it must be like. Maybe we it's get to watch the movie of it later. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, one of the things I, I, I hear, I totally hear what you're saying. And, and it's not just that I'm hearing this, but if, um, and we'll post the link to Nikki's website where you can look at her beautiful work. But um, I did look through some of your well, I looked through a bunch of things, but in particular, your ocean images that there's a lightness about them, but also uh, uh, some tension because they're so they're it's it's like fr- it's like frozen movement. You you just know that there's it, it's wild, you know, yeah. and um, I I also feel like there's there's some like metallicy. It's almost it's it's not. They're not soft. Uh, there's a lot of soft and pastels, but with the waves, they sometimes feel metallic, almost mm. like they're so crisp. And I, I don't know. They're. I don't even know what you do. We said we were going to talk about technique. That I'm not saying that, but I don't I mean, know what you do. But I do do very very little. I use a lot. I mean, lens. It's, I can't get too close, but you know. No, you can't. Uh, and no. it's beautiful. <laughs> but you know, the quality of light here is extraordinary. You know, that's the thing about being on latitude 59. You know, the air is very, very clear. And I have a special spot on the West Coast, uh, you know, nothing between me and Canada, basically. 3,000 miles of wave power coming at me, you know, and that's extraordinary. And, you know, I I, I probably shouldn't be saying this, you know, to an audience, but, oh, my husband knows, so it's okay. (laughs) When we were first here, and, you know, I I wanted to be, I wanted to be in the middle of all this. And I, I sometimes would have this urge to almost, want to throw myself into the sea, into this chaos, you know, to just hurl myself off a cliff. And it was nothing to do with wanting to end my life. It was just wanting to experience this extraordinary, extraordinary power. I mean, a lot of the north coast of Orkney, the northwest coast is is unmapped, I'm told. You know, there are no decent charts and it's full of shipwrecks and, and all sorts. Um, you know, there go those ghosts again. But my little spot on the West Coast, I'm the only one that knows where it is. I've never told anyone because I don't want anybody else to find my, you know, where I take my pictures. So if I fell in, you know, they'd never find me. (laughs) Right. But I'm shooting into the light, which is what will give it, you know, that, that, that quality, I think. 
And sometimes the water just goes black. It's just extraordinary. It's a, it's a, you know, an inky black with gold highlights. Very, very beautiful. That's so wonderful. It, it's like John Muir. Hey, sorry, Lynn. <laughs> it's kind of like your John Muir. John Muir used to go up in the trees when there was these big storms and he would just ride them so he could be in it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I think there is something to having our environment be such a place that we want to create, you know, that, that place that draws us there and mm-hmm. whether, whether it's photography or, or something else, you know, I think environment does make such a huge difference for us. Well, I think, you know, being in an environment like Orkney where we have these huge wide open spaces and, you know, enormous skies, it clears your mind and it's scary at first. Because like I said, I didn't know how I was going to communicate what I was feeling and, you know, my, 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 my um, experiences of the place. So, you know, it just forces you to really be still and, and just see what comes out, you know, and the fairies were the first thing that came out. But this incredible power of the sea and the monsters, I mean, the sea here is full of ghosts and monsters. Uh, and obviously, you know, being a, a group of islands, fishing is a major part of the um, economy here and has always been, I guess. So obviously, uh, over the centuries, a great many people have been lost at sea. You know, fishermen die in storms all the time. So those ghosts are there and they're very real. And a lot of the myths and legends have come out of, um, I think, trying to rationalize how, um, you know, these losses would occur, which is, you know, quite, quite interesting, really. Yeah. Your work often disappears down rabbit holes of um, abstraction and... Uh, yeah a quite playful exploration. Um, what leads you down those sort of paths? Well, ever so, ever so often I think I want to strip it back and strip it back, a bit like the environment here, you know, quite stripped back, quite uh, quite bare, open. And I suppose it's a sense of wanting to really get to the essence of something. Um, this is why very often you'll see, for example, a lot of my bird pictures with no backgrounds. Um, and it's not that I take the backgrounds out, it's that I actively seek a particular kind of light photograph in or, you know, on a beach where, you know, you've just got a bit of water there and some sand. Um, I don't want the distractions. When we were in Northumberland recently in the north of England, uh, I don't know whether either of you know the north of England at all, but there's a beach in the northeast where there's an incredible there's some incredible rocks on the beach. They are, I think, sandstone. <clears throat> and they are the most extraordinary shapes and colours. Well, they sort of come and go because obviously the storms will, will cover them in sand. And they were quite covered over when we were there recently. But when I was actually on the beach experiencing the whole scene, you know, it was really, oh, it was typical English spring. It was grey. It was cold. You know, the southeast wind was 25 miles an hour, relentless. Um, you know, there were waves, there were white horses in the sea. There were those, what are they called? The blow carters, you know, they're, they're sort of like uh, go-karts on the beach with these great big sails. You know, it was all just kind of shapes and, and swirls, uh, which echo what you see in the rocks. So I just basically took some pictures and thought, well, this doesn't really say anything about the experience that I had. So I just basically tried to get down to lines, very, very simple black lines that would echo my experience of being on the beach that day. So that's what I did. I mean, I can tell you how I did it, but you don't want to know. So, (laughs) 
sometimes I won't. <laughs> well, maybe we do want to know, but I think you should keep the magic to yourself. <laughs> I think so too. So, so I'm uh, Nikki, I'm really, uh, this is actually something that I actually posted about this on Instagram today. Uh, I shared an image from white sands because I, I've been thinking recently a lot about space and Mm -hmm. you talk about having this, you know, nine months. I've heard a couple of little threads here. One is the, the nine months where you kind of wandered you know? And, and the other one is like this, even this Island for you, there's, there's empty spaces. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's really interesting. I even did a little, um, I did a little exercise. I'm holding this up. You guys can't see it. Okay. So I have two of the same cup. I mean, this, this is just what I'm thinking about today. So one, it was, it, it did have more water in it. So I have two of the same cup and one had more water. It was almost full, but I drank some. Okay. So pretend that has a lot more water. And then one is empty and, um, or one has, one has nothing in it. I'll rephrase that. One has water, like let's say to the top and then one has nothing in it or uh, no water in it actually, because you know, there's air in it. So there's something in it. Um, and then the exercise was, and this was really interesting. I actually kept my voice notes out while I did this. So one minute, I, I you look for one minute at the one that's full of water, and then you look at, for one minute at the one that doesn't have the water, and then you look for one minute at both of them side by side. And it was really interesting, some of my observations, because I'm finding that I'm shifting how I think about space and the the nothingness and how it sounds like for that nine months, and maybe you can speak to this. I'll pause. I'm curious for that nine months and maybe for some other times, like what that taught you about space and um, like filling your time with things and, or maybe patience and um, what that taught you about your own creativity and your own work and your own process. Mm. That was a long question. Sorry. (laughs) Oh dear, where shall I start? (laughs) But it certainly taught me to be patient. I can tell you that. And I'm not a patient person. I should point that out. I'm extremely uh, impatient generally in my life. Um, but, um, oh, gosh. Mm. Um, it taught me not to be afraid of, of, of empty space, I think, is one thing I would say. Yes, my mind has always been very busy and I've always kept myself extremely busy. And coming here, it was just... So different. There were fewer things to do, and this was—it was a deliberate part on our, uh, on our part to move here, and you know to be quieter. And I wanted to undertake a project, so I think I just had to sit with that space and just let it be, you know, and see what would what would start to to fill it. You know, How'd that like, feel at the beginning of that? Totally panic, panic stricken at first, actually. <laughs> Do you know that feeling? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When I think when we're so used to creating and going and moving and doing and filling, uh, that it's, it it feels like that's why I had said the cup is empty Mm. because it feels empty feels, you know, but, but it's not really right. So no, no, exactly. That that's right. I mean, you know, as you know, when you're a busy parent and you're working, you're never still. Your mind is never still. There's always something else to do, and always somebody else to think about. 
Uh, and then, you know, you have a change or it stops for some reason. And, um, yeah, you're right about that glass being, you know, there is something in it. Of course there is. But you've got to stop and listen and look, haven't you? That's the thing. You've got to listen yeah. and look. That's very important. One of and the so things is I... your mind... Go ahead, Len. Oh, so has your mind become stiller in this process in, you know, after, you know, years of being there? Yes, I think it has. It certainly has when I'm photographing because I know that to get what I think I'm looking for, I've just got to be quiet and sit with it. Otherwise, you know, how are you going to know when you've got it for a start? You know, the fairies aren't going to announce themselves loudly in your in your ear or in front of you, are they? You know, they're going to come quietly. Uh, and sometimes they don't come at all. I mean, that should be said, you know, perhaps um, they realize I'm not in the mood or they don't think I deserve it for some reason. <laughs> you know, they do not always reveal themselves. And sometimes the sea monsters don't reveal themselves. But the birds always have the magic. The magic is always there. It's a fascinating story because that's something that I chase as well is mm. this quietness in my mind and also getting lost from a busy mind that overthinks that's mm. always continually thinking and doing stuff and art often, making art is often doing. And, yes, very true. Uh, but the magic times are when I disappear into it and yeah, that only happens occasionally and it doesn't happen every time I, I actually make art or I make things like bookmaking or printing, but there's times where it does happen. And it actually happens not only when I'm making art, but it can also happen when I'm walking or just in the bush. And it's these moments of total peace and presence. And I like to call it presence where I'm totally grounded and 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 there and I notice everything and, the, you know, the, the breaths of the wind start talking to me and uh, uh, I become very, very grounded and it's addictive, but it's also um, incredibly beautiful. And it's one of, it's, you know, probably one of the reasons that I'm so uh, enamored with creating and being in that environment is to try and get to that space again where I can just be present and have that less busy mind. I think my secret weapon really is my love of water because I'm a swimmer and I immerse myself in the sea, you know, several days a week. Uh, I swim all year round without a wetsuit and it's a very visceral experience. You know, it is a matter of life and death. You absolutely have to be in the moment when you're swimming in winter on latitude 59, you know. And um, it just connects me to nature, I think, in a way that, mm. um, well, a swimming pool never could. I mean, I do swim in the pool as well because, you know, in winter we can't be in the sea for very long here. But it's just, um, I love it. It calms me every time. I can be feeling dreadful. <laughs> I mean, take lockdown, for example, you know, all the anxiety and the misery and, you know, the not knowing what was going to happen and everybody was frightened. And I just would get into the sea and start swimming with my face in the water and it all just goes away. It just melts away. It's like magic. There's an incredible amount of um, research about um, cold, uh, cold and heat immersion uh, on our mental health and the chemicals yeah. that it releases and yeah. how beneficial it is. Um, I've actually just been listening to 
Huberman talk about it and it's a, it's very well known, isn't it? And yeah. it's a, 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 it is a magical thing. I have a, quite a few swimmer friends and I, I struggle with swimming. <laughs> it's not something <laughs> that I can connect with, but. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's massively wildly popular here, you know, especially when lockdown started and the pool closed and, um, you know, people were desperate for some sort of connection with, with the outdoors um, you know, it just exploded here, which is wonderful to see. You know, we have um, so many wonderful, beautiful beaches and places to swim. Uh, oh. <laughs> and there's Momo. So Momo always shows up in the podcast at some point. We just never know when. He's such a good, tiny guard dog. Len's going to go get him. Okay, I'll share. I'll share while Len goes, does, takes care of Momo. Uh, one of the things that, but going back to this kind of, um, empty, you know, space experiences. I, when I first went out into uh, White Sands National Park, you know what, in that park and maybe also in dunes, you know, in, in wide expanses of dunes, I would imagine, um, there, there's really, if you're, if you're out in large ones and there's no, uh, there's no, um, like real plants around or anything, it's, it's silent. Mm. So there's no planes there's no birds. Uh, if, if there's no wind and it's still, if there's nothing, there's just nothing. And it almost is like a ringing in your ears because it's so silent. And I thought it's just me and my brain here. Like there's, there's really nothing except for what I see visually to, to pull myself, you know, to pull my thoughts away. And it's such an interesting experience to, to kind of be in that. And at first it was unnerving because mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't used to the quiet and the space and the, and the still. And, um, and over time, I, when I go back, I, I've learned to cherish it. Like I, I want that now I want that space. And I think, I think this exercise that I did today is reminding me that I want to recreate that more in my daily life because, you know, without having to like go somewhere or, you know, dive in the ocean or whatever, you know, how can we create these little bits of it? And how does that add to our creativity? Because I thought actually when I, one of the things I wrote down when I, when I was looking at this cup that was full of, not full of water, it's not empty, but not full of water. I thought there's so much possibility there. Mm. You could fill it with all kinds of things, you know, I mean, there's, it really is like this vessel of possibilities and that is actually really fun. So when you, when you take it from like, uh, and maybe this is what happened to you when you go from like, it's kind of feels unnerving, it's uncomfortable. I don't know what to do here. I, and then, and then you start to embrace all of it. Mm. Um, then it changes. Mm. Yes, yes, I think I think that's right. Um, I think I think it does change, and I cherish it too, and I definitely seek it out. And I think you know, going back to a point I think you made earlier, um, I think I'm I'm a much quieter person than I used to be, you know, which I which I like definitely over the last five or six years. I, I've quietened down, you know, and it's also about listening to the stories that. Um, the birds and the flowers are trying to tell me, and I'm not going to hear their stories if I've got too much brain chatter going on. Simply got to be quiet. You know, I want to know what the terns have been doing in the years since I last saw them. 
and the puffins and the razor bills and all the others, you know. And I think, um, I don't know whether you saw, uh, it was a picture I took very recently of a razor bill and I took it down to pure abstraction. And I, I just got lucky with the light. So the sun was out and the bird is black. It has a black back. It's got a white stripe along the face. They had its back to me and there was a cliff behind it and the cliff was in shadow. Um, and so all you could see really was the edge of the bill and this this white line and the white outline just around the edges of its of its little white tummy. And I thought, you know, that's really what I'm aiming for. That is the essence of that bird, you know, pure abstraction, no distractions, just a quiet, abstract image. Does that make any Fabulous. sense? Fabulous. Will you share that with us so we can share it with our listeners? I think it was one of the ones that I sent. Did you put on there? Okay, so great. Claire, Claire asked me to... Fill out a form. We have everyone fill out a form so that so that it makes it easy yeah. for everyone. Fabulous. <laughs> then we will share that. Woo. So yes, I, I think my razor bill is on there. Yes, and and there's um I think I sent oh I sent some fairies the cowslips. Yes, yes I did. I can't mm. remember what else I said. I don't know. It's nearly my bedtime. I'm falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's falling asleep here. <laughs> I'd like to just talk about the metaphor because you're both talking about an incredibly beautiful metaphor and that is that about the space. And, and Bree, you're talking about the, the space inside the cup and that's what actually defines a cup, isn't it, is the space inside it and what it can do rather than the outside form of it and that's just what we see. And uh, when we're talking about the island and the um, place of where it is and that space that it brings to you there's an incredible connection um, and it took a while to find mm. uh, and it, it was about giving yourself space in, in doing that as well to to calm and to connect and then when you do that's when the magic happens and I think that that's absolutely uh, an incredibly beautiful thing to happen that when when we stop and slow down and we actually really connect with the environment and with mother nature and the uh, animals and the, the plants and the spirits and the magic, the magic happens and it starts talking to us in ways that are inexplicable and it's an incredibly beautiful experience and channeling that energy into creativity is just, I, I think that's magical in itself um, and these records that all these artworks that, that come from this uh, are infused with that magic. And I absolutely adore your work. And oh, thank uh, you. As, as we talk about it, it's opened the, uh, my eyes to what's going on in there. And uh, uh, it's added this incredible depth to your artwork. And I, I, you know, I love it even more having talked to you about it and uh, this magic in them. And now I'm feeling it when I'm looking in the work. So oh, that's great. Uh, it's absolutely oh, beautiful. So that's so lovely to hear. It really is. You know, it's, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. Thank you. <laughs> it's very kind of you. Do you, well, when you go out into your beloved Blue Mountains, for example, do you go out with any particular agenda or do you just go out and see what you can, you know, hear that day or see or sense? Um, I'm a mix of both. So I have um, particular places that I connect with. And uh, so sometimes I choose 
to go to those places. And I think that that's a decision that I make before I go. And uh, I head off and go, right, this is going to be a good morning and I'm drawn to there. But that's actually quite rare. Uh, I I often uh, just start wandering <laughs> and yeah. see where I turn up and I hop in the car if I'm driving and I don't even know where I'm going and I start going somewhere and I find myself somewhere else and I'll visit one spot and it doesn't, I don't connect and I end up in another spot. And some days I can walk all day and don't feel connected with my art. Mm. Uh, and other days I'm I'm totally immersed and lost in it and it's it's very, very different at different times and that depends on my own mental state. But also the the light and what's going on in in Mother Nature that day as well, yeah. as to yeah. whether it's ready for me to connect with it, I think. Well so, it's like the fairies, you know, sometimes they no wish to connect with me, I think. Um, yeah, I, I know. For me, it's it's the wind. I, I listen to the wind and it tells me where I need to go. But sometimes I can't connect either. Sometimes I'll just set off in a direction, uh, you know, like you do, and I'll wander and I'll not find anything. But sometimes I find it when I least expect it. You know, that's always a joy, isn't it? You know, like, for example, a couple of days ago, I went to the turns and they weren't there. They were all off feeding somewhere. So I thought, well, I'll just walk along that stretch of coastline. And it's a spectacular walk it's just so beautiful the cliffs aren't high there but the sea is just gorgeous it comes crashing in from the north and um all sorts of other birds you know and um beautiful waves i had a you know really lovely walk got some nice pictures that i just would never have expected that i would find which was which was a joy you know and sometimes i i plonk myself down somewhere and uh stop the walking <laughs> and actually start to try to notice more. And uh, I think sometimes I mask the seeing by walking so much because it, mm. it's connected with what's going on with my mind, obviously. And when I do just sit, eventually I start to notice and eventually I have to pick up my camera and start making art and it mm. becomes impulsive in the end. And uh, I'm a firm believer that there's art everywhere. Yeah. It's just a matter of do I choose mm. to connect with it or not? Yeah. And uh, like I, I was thinking about this and I think I've talked about it on here before, but the, the nature has its power and is talking to us nonstop. And uh, I think it's whether we choose to listen or not as to whether um, we connect. So it's a little bit of the opposite to what you're saying with the fairies that choosing to show themselves or not. For me, I think it's for me, it's whether I'm prepared to listen or not. Mm. Um, I mean, it could be that way around for me as well. It could be that I'm just not in the right frame of mind to to hear them or feel them or see them. You know, uh, it could be either way, I guess, could it not? But I, mm. I must admit, I mean, I, I, I try not to walk too much. I try to, you know, get to a spot and sit. You know, like you say, you've got to sit and observe. I think that's quite important. And the other thing that I... I notice here, and I, I would imagine in Australia, people must feel this as well, that when you go to the coast, you, I'm on the edge of a continent, as are you. Anywhere yes. you know, in Australia that you went to the beach, you would be on the edge of the continent. But here, you know, I'm right on the edge of Northwest Europe. And that's, I love that feeling, you know, that feeling of just, it's like the end of the world. 
It's very special. And, and particularly when there's no other people there, isn't it? There's some, um, uh, I think that oh, yeah. having that isolation uh, allows Mother Nature to be itself more freely. Absolutely. And Absolutely. also you don't have the distraction of all the people and mm. the modern changes to things. And I notice that my connection increases the further I get away from civilization and the further I walk into a wilderness, mm. the calmer I get and the better the photographs become or Absolutely. better the artwork becomes. Or if I'm walking down a, a well-trodden path to a lookout, it's very, very different to walking into um, bush that other people don't walk in and I'm off track and I'm wandering around and then I'm seeing things that are new and delightful to me and uh, that's where I find the magic in my art is being somewhere that's um, quite unique and magical and lonely and, uh, yeah, I understand what you mean about loneliness. Yeah, I get that very much. So it's almost like, um, you know, it's 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 the joy grief thing for me. Two sides of the same coin. You know, I can feel intense joy that will bring tears. Absolutely, and yet, you know, within the flick of a switch, it can turn to grief for what we're about to lose in the world. You know, um, that's very very strong in me. Very often, mm. making my art. Particularly with the birds, I think, because you see their vulnerability um, in a way that, you know, you, you wouldn't say with the waves that it's just myth and power. But the birds, you know, this year is just weird. Nature is so off kilter here this year. And I don't know if it's because we've had a cold, wet spring or whether, you know, I think it's partly that. I think it's possibly partly the bird flu epidemic, climate change, you know, all those things. And some something is definitely off, and it's it's grievous. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I was only reading this week that there's a sixty percent chance that the planet will warm one point five degrees in the next three years, or something. That that's uh, absolutely incredible. They were talking about you know a, a one point five degree change over twenty years, and it'll happen in a year or two. And and you're coming into a fire season, aren't you? In the next. Um, Yes, we've um, just finished a, a three-year wet season yeah. um, and now we're just we're at the beginning of what's going to become a dry and whether it's as long and as big as the last one, yeah. um, we tend to go into quite long droughts, but um, it's so unknown. Yeah. And uh, these seasons, you know, El Nino and El Nino in Australia affect us the most and uh, they're caused by ocean currents. We have no idea what's going to happen with the oceans as uh, things change. And the animals know and the plants know, I think. That's yeah, my opinion. Absolutely. They, they do. They do. I mean, it's the same up, up here with the Gulf Stream, you know, um, with the melting of the glaciers in Greenland and Iceland and the Arctic. You know, it's changing the salination in the ocean and it's changing, you know, the Gulf Stream. And, um, you know, that would be catastrophic. Well, for lots of people, mm. but certainly for Northwest Europe, it would probably, you know, we'd get another ice age if the worst came to the worst. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. You know, I'm sure lots of people believe it won't happen, and I really hope it doesn't happen. But as you say, it's the big unknown. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've learned today is, uh, or remind you've reminded me, is very much about this connection with um, emotion. Mm. And uh, you, were, as you were talking then at the end about, you know, tears and joy at the same time, 
it's this inexplicable amounts of emotion that we play with as artists and that we want to create in our work. And when we turn to it, rather than technique or other parts of it, that that's where the magic really happens. And it's when we connect with magic. I, I don't know. That's a, such a beautiful way to, to finish up on. What do you think, Bree? I agree. And I was thinking the exact same thing that, that as, you know, creative people, um, we want more emotion and we love to see it in our work and we find it in other people's work. And emotions are just such a beautiful part of being human, whether it's joy or, you know, sadness or grief or excitement or, or, you know, whatever it is that we're experiencing. Um, it's, it's really beautiful. So yeah, I, I think this is a great place to end. Nikki, do you have any last comments on that? And then if, and then tell us where, tell us uh, where your, our audience can reach you. Um, well, my, my website is, uh, is NikkiGwynJones.com, all one word. So I try to keep it relatively up to date. Facebook and Instagram, Nikki Quinn Jones, um, you know, I would love to have new friends. So just, you know, come along and join me. Um, Going back to the the emotions thing, I think I would say don't be afraid to let the tears come. You know, if you are just faced with an inexplicably beautiful scene like I was yesterday morning, let the tears roll. You know, it's very cathartic and it will show, you know, if you decide to make art at that point, it will, it, it, people will know. They will know. And don't be afraid, afraid to cry in grief either. You know, last year, a year ago, uh, you know, when the bird flu hit, and I found 23 dead birds, big, beautiful gannets. I know you have them in Australia too, within a very short stretch of beach. And I was inconsolable. And, you know, again, it's, it's very cathartic. And that too will show in your art. You know, people will know how much you love what you're photographing. I think it's, it comes through loud and clear if you are honest with your emotions. What beautiful sage advice. I think that's incredibly um, special. And uh, yes, people can see it and they can feel it as well. Mm. And that's the key to art, isn't it? Uh, yes, this, it is. Um, incredible, beautiful emotions. We were lucky enough to publish your work in um, Lens Journal Volume 2, Issue 2. Did you why? Yes, it was my great honour. And uh, there's a beautiful set of um, uh, gorgeous bird photographs in there and uh, they're absolutely stunning. And uh, we just still have a few copies of those if anyone wants to pick them up. They're printed in six colours, so they're really, really uh, a beautiful thing. And they did come out really, really beautifully. And those turns are the ones I'm currently photographing now. So... If you do go onto my social media pages, that is what you will see from the last few days and hopefully many more days to come. Um, yeah, I'm spending a lot of time with them because they're only here for, you know, a couple of months every year, two or three months. It's my spirit bird. You know, I've, I've decided that, you know, when I come back for my next life, I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I can be as feisty as heck and I can travel the world and, you know, I can visit other realms that are just not... I, I cannot at the moment, and I, I, you know, I look forward to that, you know, of becoming one of my spirit beings. I think that would be very nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, 
What a great conversation this has been. This actually, we we don't plan really what, what we're going to talk about. And I really love some of the things that we touched on. It's just so beautiful. So Nikki, thank you so much for taking the time to join us in the evening. Well, thank you for asking. I'm thrilled to be here. And it's just really nice to meet you both. Yeah, finally. yeah. in quotes. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. If only we could all hug, it'd be awesome. Yeah, group, I think hug, group, group hug. hug. How special and beautiful. That's right. And uh, yeah, and you know, to be able to talk freely about this magic, I think here in Australia, there's a lot of people that don't want to um, engage with that sort of uh, conversation. And it's, uh, it's so special to be able to do so, I think. Well, I'm always happy to talk about fairies, Len. So, you know, just you know, <laughs> get in touch. <laughs> well, on that note, folks, I think it's um, time to say goodbye. So thank you very much, Nikki, and uh, we'll say goodbye to everyone. Bye. Thank you very much indeed. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. Thank you for joining us in our creative affair. If you love the passion we bring to this creative content, please support the podcast by sharing with a friend, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about creative photography, visit lenmetcalf.com, where you can find links to Len's photography school, videos, and publications. He would love to invite you to sign up to his newsletter. To find out more about my work, including my photography and mentoring in my Creative Confidence group coaching program, visit creativemindscoach.com. See you next time.